Hello and welcome to Device Week, the weekly podcast from MedTech Insight. I'm managing editor Marion Webb and with me today is Reed Miller. Reed, you've written a lot about the heart valve device business and last week there was some news from Livanova about their valve business. Can you tell us about that? Last week, Levanova announced a plan to sell their entire heart valve business to a Swiss private equity company called Gyrus Capital for 60 million euros, which is about $73 million. The business includes the Percival sutureless aortic valve and the Memo mitral devices and a few other similar devices for valve repair. The surgical heart valve market has not been growing very much in recent years, of course, because more and more of these procedures have switched to transcatheter procedures, as we have covered a lot, Edwards and Medtronic especially, are doing very, very well with their transcatheter aortic valves as a less invasive alternative for a lot of patients. And there are a lot of minimally invasive mitral valve technologies coming along too. The leader in that right now is Abbott's MitraClip. The business for Levanova was worth about $120 million in revenue in 2019. That was down slightly from 2018. And of course, it's going to be way down this year because all surgical devices took a big hit from the pandemic, but it's about 11% of Levanova's business. But there is still a market for surgical valves because they have a proven track record of reliability and durability. So Gyrus said, at least, that they think they can turn this into a viable standalone business. We'll just have to see how that turns out. Will it stay its own company um, or will they sell it to another big company? We'll just have to see. So why did Levanova decide to divest the business in the first place? They said that they're selling this business so that they can focus more resources on neurovascular, cardiopulmonary, and circulatory support devices. Those are their other businesses. During the last earnings call, Levanova CEO Damian McDonald said the company's main drivers going forward are its neuro devices for epilepsy and its circulatory support device business, which includes the tandem heart systems that they acquired in 2016. Those are both growing a lot faster than the valve business was. I see. Do you expect to see more changes from Levanova? Well, it's very possible that we will. The company has been under pressure from its shareholders in recent months to restructure and to get rid of some of the slower growing parts of the company to focus on the faster growing parts, which of course boosts the share price. The company has publicly said that its main growth drivers are its neuro and circulatory support businesses. Conspicuously missing from that list is its cardiopulmonary business, which is heart-lung machines, etc., used in surgery. Now, one of the shareholders agitating for change, which is Primestone Capital, suggested that the company should divest that business along with the valve business, and that business hasn't been growing very quickly lately. So maybe that is something that will happen, that Levanova will also consider that to be something non-core they can get rid of. This week, the company announced some changes to its board. Daniel Moore is going to step down as the chair in 2021. He'll stay on as a director. Now, he was the CEO of Cyberonics. Cyberonics merged with Soren to form Levanova in 2015. So the new chair is going to be William Cozy. The board also added Todd Schirmerhorn. He used to be the CFO at Bard and has been on the board of Thortech and some other medtech companies. Now he's joined the board and he's taking over from Hugh Morrison. Levanova has always been kind of a mismatched collection of businesses since it was formed with this merger of Soren and Cybernics. It used to have a cardiac rhythm management business, for example, and it sold that to Microport three years ago. So it's obviously changed its mind in the past about what it wants to be. And so it's not going to be too surprising if it does that again. Now, Marion, over to you. Last week, you wrote an article about the opportunities and challenges in so-called metabesity based on an expert panel discussion that you listened to. So what did you find out? 
Yes, thanks, Sweet. So it was a very interesting panel discussion with representatives from pharma, digital health and the, the investment side. But I think maybe we could start off with a definition of the term at obesity, which may gain a better understanding of the challenges and opportunities. So the term itself, metabesity, was coined by Dr. Alexander Fleming. He is an endocrinologist and entrepreneur, and he defined metabesity as referring to the constellation of cancer, cardiovascular, diabetes, neurological disease, and the aging process itself, all of which share the common metabolic root causes and potential preventive therapies. So you can see it basically encompasses the major chronic diseases that are often are linked to aging, but also may have a genetic factor. They can also be affected by our behaviors, such as diet, our sleep patterns and exercise, and environmental factors and socioeconomic factors, as the panelists pointed out. So you can see it's a very complex disease, and all the panel members agreed that it'll take a multidisciplinary approach with people from all types of specialties needing to join forces to try to find solutions. So what are the opportunities in this space? Because there isn't one company that has all the answers, it'll require a concerted effort and an innovative approach. One of the panelists, Thomas Land, who is the vice president of innovation at the Denmark-based diabetes care company Novo Nordis, said that the company realized very early on that 99%, if not 99.9%, he said, of innovation in this area happens outside of the company's premises. So they began partnering early on. Another panelist, John Brooks, who is the managing director of Healthcare Capital, said that today a lot of the mechanisms in this area are still not well understood. He noted that a lot of medicine is still organ-specific, so there's definitely an opportunity for physicians from different specialties to come together and look at a person holistically to try to find answers. Well, that makes sense, and I would think that alone is not easy. So what did they say about the challenges? One of the biggest challenges is on the lack of a clear regulatory pathway and evidence needed for approving both drugs and nutritional products with health span claims. That's what Fleming told another publication during an interview. But the panelists also noted that setting endpoints for clinical trials would be very challenging. It would require very large trials, among other challenges. That said, um, all the panelists basically agreed that metabesity holds a lot of promise and, of course, opens up a lot of opportunities for experts to join forces. So this week, you're also going to write a story on Dexcom, which is a major player in the continuous glucose monitoring space. They are actually headquartered in San Diego, which is your adopted hometown. They had their big investor day meeting this week. What were some of the highlights? Yeah, so Dexcom has seen significant success with its G6 CGM system. This CGM requires no finger sticks, which obviously is huge for people with diabetes who need to stick their fingers to get blood samples and see where they are in terms of their glucose levels. So the G6 was also the first CGM device that the FDA approved for use as part of an integrated system. So they can use it with insulin pumps and other diabetes management electronic devices. That said, the company is facing rising competition, including from Abbott, 
which markets the Freestyle Libre brand. Both companies have been marketing their products directly to consumers. And if you turn on your television here in the US and look at advertising, you'll likely be familiar with both brands. So during the investor meeting, the CEO of Dexcom, Kevin Sayers, told investors he sees a very bright future ahead for Dexcom. He now expects revenues between $4 billion and $4.5 billion by 2025. That's a compound annual growth rate of 15 to 20% and more than double the revenue guidance for 2020. He also outlined three growth pillars on how to get there, which are focused on the company's intensive insulin business, which is its core business and will be the key driver of growth, as well as penetrating the type 2 non-intensive market and to expand on a global basis. Right. So the CGM market is definitely a major market that we're watching. And I know you're keeping a very close eye on the major players, which of course are Dexcom and Abbott and a few other companies in that space, including, of course, Medtronic. Yes, thanks, Reid. So our listeners can read on Dexcom's plans, the challenges and opportunities in Metabesity and Levanova's changes, and a lot more right now at medtechinsight.com. Right now, we have a feature on early cancer detection technology and, of course, a lot of news related to COVID-19 test technology. We have a look at how the medtech industry is reacting to Joe Biden's pick for HHS secretary, a look at the Medicare new physician fee schedule for 2021 and a lot more. You can find us on Twitter at medtech underscore insight. I'm medtech Marion, M-A-R-I-O-N, and Reed is medtech Reed with two E's. Thanks and have a great week.